Good afternoon and welcome to the show. So I'm really excited about this one, folks. Two hours, that's right. Simply Real Estate, our, uh, this is our season, end of season show that we're having. And I'm going to have uh, a little bit later on in the hour, I'm going to have Greg Bennell join me. And he is from BNN Bloomberg. We're going to be talking about the markets and what is going to be happening for the next little while. But um, I'm going to open up the phone lines right now because I want to hear from everyone. A 416 1010. Uh, a couple questions I'm going to ask you today. And I want to, uh, I want to find out uh, a few things. First and foremost, what do you think of 2018? Was it a good real estate market? And what about 2019? Where are we going? But one of the more important questions I think that I want to ask, because, you know, every year we try to analyze, are realtors worth their commission? And when the market was absolutely screaming along back in 2017, 2016, I had a lot of people, you know, would call in and say, hey, Todd, you know, why are realtors still charging so much for commissions when they really don't have to do anything? Well, you know what? Full stop breaks get hit in the market, and now it takes a little bit more work you know people are back to work now and when they're trying to sell a house so the question is is do you believe realtors are now worth their commission or how much commission should you be paying a realtor and uh, there's been a lot of new things popping up lately as far as you know what people can do in the marketplace so 416-872-1010 you can text me here at 71010 and uh, yeah I definitely want to hear from you uh, this hour um, lots going on though uh, some latest stats that are coming out uh, just recently this week they're saying that the average cost of a one-bedroom rental in Toronto hits $2,260 per month so the rental market is doing exceptionally well unless of course you are a tenant and so we're keeping our, our eyes on the market and uh, one of the things that of course Toronto has is a inventory problem you know I talked about it all the time here on the show and uh, we seem to be uh, we seem to be struggling with inventory and the government really has has not found a, a decent way to get around. One of the things that also um, I think uh, I want to make sure everybody knows is that uh, we've got a seminar coming up with the uh, with the Simple Investor coming up on January the 18th. And uh, that's going to be the first one of the year for 2019. And you can find out who makes the best tenant. And, uh, you know, I don't know if everybody realizes, uh, you know, who does or, for that matter, what it takes to find a good tenant. It's uh, It's been a real struggle for some people that have been investing in real estate. So uh, 416-872-1010. We've got uh, our phone lines open. would love to hear from you. Find out what's going on uh, in the actual market itself. Now... One of the other things that we need to talk about, of course, is what happened with a condominium when they were thinking of uh, turning around and putting in a security camera. You know, were they allowed to do it? Could they just do it automatically? So a condo board can install security cameras at its own discretion without the owner's approval. That's right. You can have your uh, your condominium uh, board turn around. They will put in cameras without you having to go to a meeting and voting on it. So this is one of those things that I think people have to be made aware of when having condominiums. There's certain things that a condominium board can do. Um, and uh, you know what? It's it's kind of an interesting point. So um, I'm going to go to David. Uh, he's on the line, and uh, he's uh, talking about agents commission. And uh, David, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Do they sometimes overcharge, or are they worth every penny they get? Let me give you a perfect example. They overcharge sometimes. I put up a house for sale, 
I did all the work myself. I did all the staging, everything myself. And as soon as he put the sign up, my house was sold. He didn't do a virtual tour, nothing, and it was also sold. And I had to pay him, what, that almost 30000 Okay, so David, I have I have a question for you. Do you do you live in the GTA area? Are you are you local? No, I live in GTA area. Okay, and your house it, it, did it sell within a day, six days, a week? A day. A day. All righty. And was that recently? Uh, about two years ago. Two years ago. Oh, okay. So, what do you think about today? Do you think it would sell in a day today, or do you think that maybe it would take a little bit longer? No, like probably not because so much I've changed. So. Okay, so if if your agent had to list a property today, do you think they have to work a little bit harder, spend a little bit more money on it? Honestly, I don't think so because with social media, so much things happening now, you know. Okay, well, listen, David, thanks for your call. Really appreciate it, and um, you know what? Good luck next time when you hire an agent. Hopefully, they'll do a little bit more for you. So. Um, so, folks, you know, that's uh, that's a kind of a common thread, though, when we talk about uh, realtors and selling properties. You know, one of the things that a lot of people need to focus on, of course, is the fact that, you know, is your house ready to sell? Do you have to do anything to it? You know, how much are you trying to get? Are you, you know, are, are you going in low to maybe get multiple offers? This was one of the things. And when David mentioned, you know, it was two years ago, I agree that market was about as hot as we've seen it. And quite frankly, it was a lot easier to sell properties. But the question is, today, are realtors worth their commission today? I'm not talking about two years ago. So you can text me here at 71010. I would love to hear what your thoughts are on this, that perhaps, you know, are realtors going to have to work a little bit harder right now to be able to get properties sold? You know, it was interesting because one of the things that I always like to do is I follow all of the, the different boards throughout the GTA market. And we take a look at some of the advertising. And for a little while there, it seemed like realtors stopped advertising. You know, their houses weren't listed in the local newspapers. We didn't see quite the aggressive uh, number of open houses even. And when the market started to fall apart a year ago, you know, we started seeing a lot more effort being put in. And I was uh, I was mentioning to my wife, I said, you know, it doesn't seem like anybody's doing any uh, any kind of open houses. Just, you know, houses go up, they, they sell right away. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, uh, within about a month, we started seeing every single corner had an open house sign on it. So does that make sense? Is that one of the things that... You know, people start realizing that when a market slows down, people are going to do more and more open houses. So love to hear from you uh, this hour. You know, any questions about real estate? But the one I always want to, you know, have an answer to is I want everybody's perspective on realtors in the marketplace. Uh, I'm going to go to another caller. It's Steve from Toronto. And Steve, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi there. Welcome to the show, Steve. How are you doing? Great. I listen to your show as much as I can. And I just turned it on and you wanted to know whether realtors are worth what they get paid. Yeah, I do, actually. You know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, I believe, you know, uh, professional realtors out there, when they're hustling, that's great. But the question is, are they are they worth their full commission? Because a lot of people, a couple of years ago, if you remember, Steve, were saying that they were not. Well, I don't know what you mean by full commission, like 3% or whatever it is. Right. I know it's negotiable, but how much has housing prices gone up in the last 10 years? Well, you and I both know that's a big number. <laughs> okay. And how much has their commission, their commission has stayed the same. So basically, they are making a lot more money right. due to the pricing of house. So why didn't their commission go down or, or, you know, house price go up 
why doesn't their commission go down accordingly? You know, they can do basically I'm not nothing but not much and make three percent on a you know million dollar house. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it sure is. So, Steve, would it be would it be smarter for realtors to have a flat rate as opposed to a percentage of the sale of the property? It could be a flat rate, or yeah, you know, a flat rate would be not a bad idea, or reduce their commission accordingly. Like you know, when you're buying a house, like as you know, a million dollars is average house these days, and how much is um, you know a realtor making? A lot of money. That's sure. more than I you know people make that in a half a year, a year. Yep, of course. You know, I I know. Don't get me wrong; they do their work, but. You know, like the guy just was on before. In one day, they sold their house, and, you know, it's happened. I think their commission is way out of whack with the pricing of the housing, the way it has gone up. Their commission should have gone accordingly down when prices have gone up to make, uh, you know, a fair share for the for the buyer and the seller. Yeah, That's- well, you know what? That's a fair comment, Steve, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. I, I appreciate the comments, so... Um, you know, it's interesting, folks, uh, when we talk about uh, when we talk about commissions, again, everybody's got their take on it. Um, you know, if there's any realtors that want to weigh in on this, 416-872-1010, love to hear from you. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to make sure that uh, everybody gets their uh, say. Um, I'm going to quickly go to Stanley from Markham. And uh, Stanley, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. No problem. Oh, you know what? Let's put it this way. Most houses today in Toronto, when the market's good, they sell themselves. They don't really need a real estate deal to sell the house. Uh, the lawyer does most of the paperwork. If you have an issue during the transaction, it's the lawyer who takes care of it. Real estate, I've been through it, and they usually wash their hands, and they say they can't do nothing. Now, to get to my point is if I have a house and I, and I upgrade it so I can make a couple more bucks on it, why is the real estate agent benefiting? His commission should be based on the tax assessment, which is way less than the market value of the house. Okay. Well, you know, that's an interesting take, Stanley. And uh, thanks so much for your for your comment on that. You know, it is it is interesting, but it might be a little bit tough because with tax assessments up and down, um, you know, I think almost the flat rate might have been a better suggestion. But uh, thanks so much for that phone call. Um, you know what? We're going to have a lot more. Um, we're going to be going to a quick break. And uh, folks, remember, you can also text me here at the station, 71010. Usual cost applies. But when we've got, when we come back, we'll have more. More, so stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So you're tuning in to a two-hour show this week. Uh, we are going to be running right through the hour of four o'clock to five as well. And um, you know, one of the things that I'm uh, I've got the, the phone lines open, and my producers are just waiting for your phone calls. Four one six eight seven two ten ten. And uh, for those of you that are either streaming us from a long distance, how about one eight hundred five one eight five one five one if you want to uh, give us a shout and um, just uh, my my producer actually um, my my wife uh, reminded me that actually our seminar is January 17th not 18th uh, coming up so if you mark that in your calendar make sure you get that um, so I'm gonna go back to the phone lines and uh, it looks like uh, Dylene from Whitby has been waiting for a little while and um, Dylene welcome to the show Hi, thank you for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. I just want to make a comment with the recent callers that are coming in about just and how they believe they don't work for it. My mother was a um, commissioned real estate agent for 25 years, and I saw all the weekends that she missed committed to her, her clients, the late nights that she would work committed to her clients, because she's working, she was working around schedules for her clients. 
they have the most oddball hours, and it's either you are um, sink or swim kind of scenario. They work very, very hard for that 6%. Yeah. And the good ones do. Yeah. And so, Darlene, one of, one of the things I think we should also clarify to our listeners, when you when you mention 6%, technically, you know, if you're handling just one side of the transaction, you've got to cut that in half. Yes. So we're back down to yes. three. So three and three. Yeah. yeah. And then on top of that, um, you know, they've got their brokers that they have to they've pay. Got their There's dues, their yeah. fees that they have to pay. Sometimes they have to pay for advertising. All kinds of things come out of that. Right. No, and no. It's not, not going to guarantee that it's going to sell and that you're going to get a commission out of it. Yeah. Many times these law will expire and come off the market and you spend all that time and energy for nothing. Yeah. No, that's a great point. So thank you so much for your call. I really appreciate it. We have to look at the, you know, both sides of the coin here. There are people that, you know, they hop into the real estate business and they quickly get their real estate license, try to make money very quickly. But then again, there's the people that have been established as a career and they've been doing it for years and years and they invest in their business. So the real question is, is do you hire a realtor that is a full-time professional, does it every single day, every single day of the week? Or do you go with your friend because, well, they're your friend and you want to give them the money? So again, there's a lot of interpretation when we start talking about realtors. We want to hear your comments this hour. If you have any other real estate uh, questions, I'm happy to answer them. But I'm going to go to our board and to Brian in Woodbridge, who's been waiting. Brian, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Todd. I appreciate uh, the chance to jump in. Um, I've been practicing real estate full-time since 2004. Started off Royal LePage, went to Century 21. Last four and a half years, been working for a downtown boutique brokerage called PSR, and I am full service, and I charge full service commissions, and my clients are happy to pay it because I handle every aspect of the whole um, process from beginning to end. And you can always find discount brokerages. You know, they're out there, you know, certainly. So there's a selection. You can order a la carte. You can order full service. The customer, the client, makes the decision in the end, and that's their decision to make. No, that's a, that's a great uh, a great comment, Brian. And uh, one of the things I'm going to ask you is that, you know, of course, with markets shifting, you're finding that, you know, if, if property stays on the market a little bit longer, most people are probably more inclined to go to a, not quite a, the, the lower price version of it, but definitely get the full, you know, the full effect marketing, everything else. Is there anything you can recommend people in this marketplace right now should be doing if they want to sell a house? Hundred percent. Um, there's marketing plans that are upfront that your listing agent interview two or three agents and make sure that you know they explain everything that they're going to do for you. But not just for the first two three weeks, for the first you know ninety days because it may take that long. You know, right now to sell a house. Yep. So Excellent. you you have to have a, a plan not just for the upfront but for the entire term of the contract. Yeah. Perfect. Listen, Brian. A real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. So, folks, you know, Brian makes a good comment. You know, if your house doesn't sell within the first couple of days, what's the realtor going to do after afterwards? Do they have a plan in place? And this is why I always encourage people here on the show, go with a full-time professional. Next, I'm going to go to Renee, uh, who's been waiting quite patiently. Welcome to the show, Renee. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so um, I have spoken to many, many realtors over the years, you know, buying and selling houses and buying industrial properties and things like that. So there's different ways of looking at it. In a good market, like two years ago, if the agent priced the house right, the house would sell pretty well right away. There would be multiple offers. And the good thing about it would be that not only did it get a tend to get a little bit higher price, 
but there were no conditions attached to the offer. So it was great for the seller. Not so good for the buyer, but it was great for the seller. So another thing is, like, realtors, if they're not good or if they're a little bit unscrupulous, you know, the fines are like ten, fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000. If they do any kind of false advertising or if they mislead a vendor or a buyer in any way, there's the, there's this board, I think it's called the Real Estate Council of Ontario. Yep, RICO, yep. The, the, the fines are massive. They're, they're not $300 like a, like a stop sign or a speeding ticket. They're minimum five to ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, and they're very, very effective. Uh, the other thing is, you know, like someone mentioned earlier on the show, there's I think there's a $450 insurance fee they have to pay. There's a $1,200 licensing fee, which is higher if someone's a broker. And a broker and a salesman really means absolutely nothing. A broker, all it means is that he has the potential of opening up his own license one day, his own firm, whereas a salesperson does exactly the same thing as a broker. And in my opinion, I see a lot of salespeople that make a lot more money than brokers because they're only focused on selling. Hmm. Um, another thing is, if you know, you're talking about advice, uh, I mean, I would, if someone was to take a listing today, they, they tend to take anywhere from 60 to 90 days to sell, or at least a month anyway. The, 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 the one-night sales are gone now, unless you're maybe in Forest Hill or, or you're in a place where people are dying to get to. Um, I would definitely get, a, get an agent to explain his game plan, his selling plan, and see if he's got any discounts if he doesn't sell the house within 30 days and he could discount his commission a little bit yep or or he could um you know show you that he might be willing to do a little bit of advertising because a lot sure. of them don't want to do that especially if they don't think the house is priced right okay well listen Renee, i'm i've got to go to a break but thank you so much for your comments i greatly appreciate them folks when we come back we're going to take more of your calls 416-872-1010 and i'll be right back after this And welcome back. So just before the break, we had the phone lines open, and what the heck, why don't we just keep them open for the rest of the hour? I've got uh, actually somebody that's been on hold for a little bit, and he's been patient, so I'm going to go to David, uh, David from Mississauga. Welcome to the show. Hello, how are you? Good, thanks. Good. Uh, th- thank you for uh, for uh, hosting this. Uh, I'm uh, not a real estate agent, but uh, I've uh, worked with a real estate agents and, and sold seven or eight houses over the last 10 or uh, Seven, uh, seven to ten years, and um, I actually, I'm actually calling on uh, to, uh, on behalf of them because I actually think, especially the full-time ones, work extremely, extremely hard. And I know there's been discussion about um, you know this six percent, but you made a point that really that's only half because it's split between buyer, seller, and agent. But uh, many times it uh, can be anywhere from four. Um, and I think the average is mostly about five, and it depends on when when the when the sales were going skyrocket a number of years ago. The agent that I use, um, she was actually very flexible. Said if you know if I'm in on the buy and sell, then I'm not going to be greedy on it. I'm going to reduce my commission by a percent or a percentage and a half. So I think most agents are very very flexible when it comes to that. Plus, 
often they will incorporate things like staging and they're working 24 hours a day even um, one of the deals that I had to do went back and forth and I, it's not just the lawyer the lawyers got the very last and the, the easiest part of it it's the signing back and forth and this agent while she was on holidays over in, uh, um, overseas actually was doing the work uh, back and forth. So they're always on call. There's more than just broker fees. There's constant advertising costs and things like that. So I'm uh, 100% in favor of uh, an agent, um, especially a full-time agent. Yeah, you know, David, um, I, I, I agree with a lot of your comments there because, you know, a lot of people have to realize that, you know, agents do, if they're, if they're the full-time people that are doing it, you know, it's not that this is kind of like a spare career for them, but the people that are actually you know, working 24-7, and, you know, truth be told, that is what is necessary if you're going to be a very, very successful agent in any marketplace. You know, we're finding that the GTA percentages, as you mentioned, a little bit more flexibility to some of them. Some of the outer markets are, you know, still, they could be 5 or 6%, but you're going to find a lot of the GTA, you know, brokerages are looking between 4 and 5. So, you know, all great comments, and, you know, one one comment I can say for yourself and for your agent, obviously, you've, you've been very happy with your agent because you wouldn't come on the show, obviously, and and tell tell everybody how great they were. So that's that's great. And thanks so much for your phone call. Well, thank you very much. And I, and again, I really appreciate it. And and uh, for those who are looking at you know listing or buying a house, I think when you look at you know the two percent or two and a half percent, believe me, that's not what they get. It ends up being a lot less once uh, all the expenses and advertising uh, are involved. And you know the agent that I use, Margie McNeil out in Mississauga, is just phenomenal. And right. um, I, I just believe uh, truly in a full-time agent. Yep. So thank Excellent. Thank you so much, David. So, you know, good point, um, you know, that when, when dealing with an agent, you know, by the time, even though the commissions seem like they're pretty high, uh, in the end, not necessarily does the agent get everything. 416-872-1010 is my number here. You know, phone lines are open. You could ask any question. It's a free-for-all weekend. And any questions that you have regarding um, real estate, I'm happy to answer. I'm going to go to my next call. Randeep uh, from Toronto. And Randeep, what do you think? Do real estate agents earn their commissions or are they overpaid? Hi, first time caller, long time listener. I love your show. Thank you. I um, was interested in a couple of things. So one, the prices of houses have increased quite a bit. And I, I presume that, you know, the, the income that real estate agents are bringing in increased sort of, um, you know, with, with those increase in prices. You know, how, how do we adjust real estate fees or commissions based on the fact that the prices of houses have gone up 30 or 40 percent, especially since a lot of these fees were established uh, decades ago and they've remained the same. And the second thing that I wanted to ask you about was a fixed sort of payment fee um, that other countries uh, seem to use. I'm, I could be wrong, but I believe England uses like a fixed sort of cost to, to sell a house. So whether your house is a million dollars or two million dollars, it's the same price. Yeah, and and it's true. Um, just so you know, Randy, there is uh, there is fixed pricing for uh, real estate fees. It can be done. There are other countries that practice it. Down in the U.S., there's a few states that actually do it. They set a fee instead of you know the fluctuation. A lot of times when they set the fee, though, just so you know, you basically have to sign on until the property's sold. Where here in Ontario, when you sign a listing agreement, there's a term of it, and of course it can be 60 days, 90 days, and then other than a holdover clause, you you don't have to pay the agent, even if they've done all their work. So um, great comments. And, um, you know, one of the things I will say, though, is that when we talk about house prices 
and them going up. You know, there are expenses that have gone up, but it's a great point. You know, do realtors deserve the same percentage that they used to charge, you know, 10 years ago when prices were a lot lower? So thanks so much for your phone call today. I like questions like that or comments like that because one of the things that I think we have to establish is most realtors are flexible with commissions and it's not just you negotiating with them. It's actually them negotiating with you. And when you see value, if they've done the job, you know, you can actually put a parameter on things and say, listen, if I get this price, then fine, I'll pay you this commission. But if I don't get my price, what flexibility are you going to give? So is there a give and, give and take on each side of the of the coin? I'm going to go to a quick call with William from Toronto. And uh, welcome to the show, William. Hi. Uh, I'd like to know how the new uh, rules uh, affect uh, equity loans on a property and going for refinancing, but I don't think I'm going to qualify. And the only reason I, I got the mortgage in the first place was, was because I put a huge down payment and I've got about 150% equity in this property. Right. Okay. So if, if we're talking about the new rules and regulations, which is the stress test that was implemented, um, William, are you, are you going to stay with the current lender that you've got? I'd like to, but I don't know if I'm going to qualify with him. Okay, so just so you know, and just for clarity for our listeners' sake, if if you all you're doing is a renewal, you automatically qualify. So in, if you don't move lenders, meaning if you take your existing mortgage, when it comes time for renewal and they say, would you like to renew the mortgage, you actually don't have to requalify at that time. Okay, okay. One, one thing here. Uh, this is uh, an estate that was uh, left to me uh, 50%, 50% to my sister. Right. And that seems to be the problem. Does that the renewal still apply? Um, it, it typically does, except in, if, if the financing was done while it was an estate with you and your names were in it. So, oh, no, it was done. Uh, right. Okay, so for the person that's passed on. So, yes, so this does change things. Okay, you will have to turn around and qualify qualify now. Um, and, you know, again, one of the things is if you've got enough equity in the property, they may consider it to be an equity loan or an equity mortgage. So if there's strong equity in the property, it might be easier. But when we talk about qualification, you know, and, and again, if it's just you renewing, um, they won't let it, they probably won't let you do it because it's an estate at this time. Okay, so so what are the regulations uh, then for for uh, for an equity uh, equity mortgage on, on a property? So what they'll do, of course, you and it'll be up to you and your sister because now if you're the owners of the property, you both yeah. will have to be on on the mortgage itself. So you both have to come in on it. They'll take a look at the amount that you want to refinance on it. And they'll have to establish, does your GDS and TDS ratios work? So one of the things I would advise you to do, definitely talk to the existing loan officer on this one. So at the bank, have a conversation with them because they're going to be able to help you out with this. And it'll give it a little little better uh, parameter on what you've got to deal with. So thanks so much for your call, William. Greatly appreciate it. When we come back from the break, we're going to take more of your calls. And we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, we are going to keep going right past four to five o'clock tonight. Um, I'm going to go to one of my callers, uh, Tammy in Toronto, and she has a question regarding being a landlord. Hi, Tammy. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. I'm really enjoying your program. I've been listening listening to it for the past hour, but I haven't had a chance to hear anything about renters. Okay. And I'm a landlord and I have a property where there are um, the renter is not abiding by the rules of the condo. 
Okay. Um, although they are paying me well and they're paying on time, but they are constantly doing things that are against the rules of the condo. Is there a way? Oh, and before I continue, I also have a yearly lease with them, and the lease will end uh, by the end of April. Okay, so a couple of things, Tammy. I would like uh, before I would like to know how I can get rid of these people because. I really want to end the lease as well. Okay. So it doesn't quite work that way. Um, what Do you know, can you tell me what kind of rules they are breaking? We rented it out to only two people. Okay. And they have decided that they, they wanted to add a few more people to the apartment. Okay. And... Uh, that's, not that, a con- that's not a condo rule, though. So, yes, yes, it is, because the condo knows exactly how many people are living in each unit. Okay, but the, does the condominium, in their bylaws, restrict the actual number of people living in a unit? Because I can tell you, most condominiums would not get away with that one. Okay, then I'm then then I, then I guess I'm I'm lost. <laughs> well, so let, let let me help you but out with something what though. About what about the fact that my lease with them ends at the end of April? Okay, so technically, the if if you've got a piece of paper that says you've got it rented out to them for for one year, it doesn't automatically end at that point. So what happens is it rolls over to what they call a month to month, and so the only way that you can have a tenant leave is if A, you decide to move into it, or B, you decide to sell it and the new buyer decides to move into it. You can't just randomly kick a tenant out at the end of a lease unless they are doing something uh, unlawful or if they're doing any kind of destruction to the actual unit. You can't just automatically say, okay, your lease is up, you have to move out. It automatically does a natural progression over to a month to month. And at that point, if you decide that you're going to move into it yourself, 60 days notice must be given to the tenant. I already gave them notice that we are not continuing with the lease at the end of April. Okay. I already gave them that, and I, I send it to them as a registered letter. Okay, and, and what was already done. what was your reasoning that you gave them that they're they're going to have to move out? Are you going to re-rent this property? No, I just said I want to end the lease. Okay, but I'm asking you a question. Are you? Do you want to re-rent this? I want to sell the apartment. Okay, so if you're doing it that way, now keep in mind, technically this tenant does not have to move out. Okay, they can automatically roll over to a month to month. Okay, so that's right. one of the things. When you sell it, and if somebody moves, it wants to move into it, they can then be owner occupied. I would be very, I would tread very carefully. This has been a huge, huge hot topic. The landlord tenant board is being very aggressive uh, to landlords that are kicking people out without a viable reason. The reason that I want is to sell the apartment. Fair enough. We so need, we need the money. Right. So, okay. So that, that, that that's a, that's a good reason. But here's the thing: don't put yourself in a precarious position that would make you exposed to if because if you decide to re-rent it, okay, or somebody turns around and buys it to rent it, they, they, you could be held liable on this one. So again, my advice at this is if they've agreed that they are going to move out because you're selling the property, you could tell them that you're selling the property. You could tell them the value that you're selling the property for, give them the right to buy it if they wish, if they do not. If they decide to move out because they're in agreement with you, okay. But if you try to force them out, 
you will end up in the in, in the landlord tenant board. Chances are you could get a fine on this one. Okay, so Tammy, I hope uh, I hope that answers some of your questions on that. When we go to the break at the top of the hour, we are going to continue on. It is a two-hour special this week uh, here at Simply Real Estate. But one of the things I do want to talk about is, is, is landlords, and of course, uh, for most of you that have tuned into the show, you know that you know at the Simple Investor we are uh, hands-on landlords. We manage thousands of units, and more more importantly, is that when people buy investment properties from us, they have the ability of owning it without having to go through this. But let's let's have a real conversation to the landlord out there. Right now, with almost zero vacancy sitting in Toronto, this is becoming a tougher and tougher topic to deal with. And a lot of landlords are sitting there saying, listen, rents are going up. I want to benefit from that huge increase. You just can't kick people out, folks. It just doesn't work that way. You can't turn around and say, yeah, but I can get $500 more a month. So I'm going to lie, cheat, steal to get my tenant out. It will come back and haunt you. And right now, I can tell you that the fines can get up to a $100,000 against a landlord if you illegally have somebody kicked out. And if you turn around and you say, yeah, no, I'm going to move into it, and then you do the quick turnaround and you rent it out yourself, again, instead of actually occupying it, uh, you're, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. And this is one of those things that I think people have to realize that the rules are in place. And for a lot of the rules, they do not benefit landlords. And um, I would love it if our our, our good premier, uh, Mr. Ford, would uh, come on the show with me one day. I would love to talk to him about what is happening with the LTB, because right now, as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's making it tougher and tougher for people to be landlords. But we have a huge requirement for landlords, and we need more landlords. We need more rental properties. We're basically sitting at a zero vacancy rate. And at this point, it's making it tougher and tougher for people to be able to find a place to live. Look, they haven't solved the problem that we've got with making properties. So in other words, get rid through the red tape, make things happen quicker. You know, when they start trying to solve the problem with, I don't know, I call it a Band-Aid fix when they say, oh, in 10 years, we're going to be able to get 10,000 more properties built. Well, 10 years, we're going to need a million more properties built. Okay. So the problem is, is that now you're not looking at the big scale. So what do we need? We need the private landlords to be able to own properties and still have the, the, the reason for it. And that's for them to benefit financially, because why would anybody else do it? So in the ultimate way of looking at it, you know, we need to have a discussion in the future about how somebody can be a, a landlord, benefit from it, and also keep the tenants safe and happy and secure knowing that they're not going to get kicked out. And if uh, when we go to uh, a break, when we t- come to the top of the hour, also, if you want, you can text me at 71010. Um, you know, that's it's important that uh, we talk about this. Also, my question of the hour, of course, was realtors, are they worth their commission? You know what? Uh, it, there's also that kind of that myth that everybody hears the word 6%. Truth is, it's probably four or five, cut it in half give some to the broker. So what does the realtor truly make? And if any realtors are out there and they want to give us their spreadsheet, that would be great because we can talk to you about that later uh, when we, uh, as I said, when we come back at the top of the hour. And just uh, just for everybody's sake, just so you know, I'm going to be having Greg Bennell from BNN Bloomberg join me. Uh, Greg's a, a guest here on the show all the time. He's going to talk to us about kind of the end year you know, look financially at the country. How's everything doing? Um, and uh, you know what? It's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, I'm going to go to a quick call in Brampton, and uh, it's uh, Dillian. And uh, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. I just had a quick question. Uh, just following up from the last caller, what they said was uh, regarding uh, residential property. 
My question is on the flip side, if I'm the tenant of a commercial property uh, and we have a year lease and, uh, you know, there is that month to month, I suppose, clause at the end of it, um, you know, what are the chances, like how they wouldn't just simply be able to kick me out or anything like that. That's, that's one question. The other question is in terms of uh, rent control, uh, how much more am I looking at if they are they able to just sort of unilaterally uh, increase the rates? Okay. Um, so I'm going to answer your quick uh, question qu- uh, quickly. Thank you so much for calling in, by the way. Um, now, to handle your question, I'll do it this way. Uh, commercial lease uh, is not the same as residential. Not at all. You don't follow the same rules and regulations. In fact, the landlord has the ability of being able to lock the property uh, um, within 30 days if you do not pay your rent. More so, um, normally most of these have a guideline of what the rental increases are. So if you've got a you know, five-year lease, you can have an option for five. Every year can be an increase. It could be 2%, 1%. It's normally spelled out. So that's the standard part of the lease. But um, anyways, thank you so much for your phone call. And uh, folks, um, that's, uh, you know what? I can't believe how fast an hour goes. But uh, I want to thank uh, Mike and Matt, uh, my producers here in the studio. They're going to stay with me. We're going to stay on. So uh, folks, when we come back at the top of the hour, we've got a whole nother hour of Simply Real Estate. So I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. Stay tuned. We've got another hour coming up and we'll be back after this. And welcome back. That's right. We're rolling into our second hour here at Simply Real Estate and, uh, you know, just kind of a wrap up for the year. And instead of me going on and on and on and on and on like I can, I figured I'd better bring in one of the pros to talk about the financial part of the equation. And that's Mr. Greg Bennell from BNN Bloomberg. And uh, Greg, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure, Todd. Thank you so much for uh, giving me some time on Saturday here and, and having a chat. So um, it's kind of funny, since you and I last spoke, it's probably been a few weeks, but uh, a little different feeling. We were talking about the Bank of Canada. It seemed like they, they put their foot right to the floor, said we're going to have increase after increase after increase. And it seems like some of the some of the underlying tone is changing. Yeah, the last time we were speaking, uh, January seemed like a done deal that we would see the bank's rate go up, the floating rate loans would go up, or the floating rate mortgages brace for it. It's going to be, you know, right off the hopper in the new year. And yeah, the Governor Polak came out with that last rate decision, started sounding, as they say in the uh, central bank, speak very dovish. And now basically people have taken their bets off the table. Uh, people don't think they're stopping in terms of raising our cost of borrowing in 2019, but they think they're going to push it further further down the road into the spring. But then that just depends on the economic data. And I talked to some people. I mean, there's some people who have been bearish on this economy for a very long time. They actually think in 2019, the bank might get stuck in a situation where this is it. Maybe they have one or two more in them and they can't go any further. The bank would love to go further, maybe another 100 basis points or so or even more. But uh, a lot of people I'm talking to on Base Street are thinking they don't, they don't have that much left in them. But unfortunately, it's not for the reason we like. It's not that they want to give us, uh, for Canadians and our homeowners, a break on the cost of borrowing. It's the dreaded R word, right? The recession. And people are starting to beat the drum on that, too. Not overnight, not tomorrow, not in January, but they fear it's coming down the road 18, 24 months from now. 
Yeah. You know, Greg, it's interesting because you and I actually, you know, when, when we had some of our conversations uh, regarding this topic, you know, it was listening to some of the, you know, economists out there, you know, one of the gentlemen, uh, Mr. Benjamin Tall, you know, he, as he said, he just, you know, couldn't, sometimes the market, you just can't understand the market as much as they try, you know, they've got all the facts, <laughs> figures, everything else. They do their best to analyze it. But at this time, you know, he, he basically said, look, I, I, I can't even tell you at some point because I don't know if, you know, the if the world economy changes the way it could and, and is, then perhaps, you know, we're not going to see the aggressiveness of the bank. Um, Greg, what do you think of the, the whole, Oshawa situation, you know, uh, in the news, of course, there's, and, 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 you know, I want to talk more about this because we've got a few realtors that are probably, I'm going to call it playing a little dirty pool. They're sitting there doing a little bit of fear mongering saying, hey, better get your house on the market because, you know, it's, uh-huh. the market's going to go down. Where I look at Oshawa as a huge opportunity for buyers right now. I mean, the affordability, detached homes are $500,000 and, you know, you're buying a brand new brand new one bedroom condo for 600 square feet in Toronto at that price. But the truth is, is that, you know, they're on, they've, they've got the go train, they've got lots of, and, and lots of uh, infrastructure in place. I mean, Oshawa, I think is, is a buy right now. Yeah, that was the equation I was playing with my, with my head too when that news started breaking. Of course, the first thing we covered at BNM Bloomberg was the fact that, you know, GM's not going to put any new product in the Oshawa plant. Uh, past December, 12 months from now, what does that mean? It's not great for the local economy. But then you start thinking about what has the GTA become? I mean, I don't live in the city of Toronto either. I work right downtown, but I live in Brampton. That's about the same distance away from the core as Oshawa is. And you mentioned the GO train. And you start thinking about the dynamics of that community. There's no doubt that GM is important to that community and, you know, a couple thousand local jobs. But the lion's share of the people in Oshawa, what are they doing? They're probably doing what I'm doing for the most part. They're getting on a GO train. They're getting in a car. They're going down to Toronto to work. And uh, GM, for its part, if we take them at their word, uh, even this week, talking pretty actively about how do we get our workers who aren't going to be able to work at the GM facility past this date if we don't get some product in there. And they say they're not going to put any product in there. How do we get them other well-paying jobs in the area? Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a hard one to read, but it doesn't seem like a disaster scenario for the local real estate economy, just given the fact that anything that's within that periphery of Toronto has benefited just from the fact that Toronto just keeps growing and growing. Well, and and one of the other points is that GM is not the biggest employer by any stretch in Oshawa. I mean, you've got universities, colleges there. You've got uh, a fair bit of other manufacturing as well. You know, uh, some of the tech industries heading that way. I mean, there's a lot more employers than just GM. And I think, again, it's a little bit of that fear mongering that we see people throwing it out there that it's, you know, maybe, you know, I, I would say cart before the horse for sure as far as the market goes. Uh, even even GM announced this past week that, you know, by analyzing their numbers, they're saying about half the people that are going to be let go are going to be getting full pension by the time they get let go. So, you know, they're getting their pensions topped up. So, I mean, if you're on a full pension, chances are, you know, you're not going to be selling your house because you're losing it. You know, you may decide to move, but ultimately in the end, I don't see the huge catastrophic impact into a marketplace like that. That feels almost more psychological when you think historically, and if you grew up, as I did in the Toronto area, what General Motors meant to Oshawa, but when you even take a look at how how it's been diminishing in the past decade, in the past 20 years, in terms of the tens of thousands of people that used to be employed by GM Oshawa, and how it's whittled down and whittled down and whittled down over the years, it's not to diminish the people who are in danger of losing their jobs, uh, but at the same time, yeah, that broader economic impact and what Oshawa has become in terms of an economy over the past 10, 20 years, it's definitely not GM dependent the way it used to be. 
Yeah. Uh, another thing in the news, and and I, I'm laughing at this, of course, and, and I'm pretty sure you did when you saw this, is that, uh, gee, Toronto is going to be coming up a little bit short of the land transfer <laughs> tax money. And despite the fact that everybody wanted to cool the real estate market, you know, you've got the province under Kathleen Wynne was just like hell bent on throwing water on it. Uh, you had the federal government implementing, you know, the um, stress test. Everybody saying, listen, we've got to control the real estate market. It. Did anybody ever get the calculator out and say, yeah, but what about all the land transfer tax money we're going to be without? That was the easy money, too. That's the real pain. <laughs> That's the gravy, you eh? Anything. You were just putting your hand in the middle of those transactions as it went by. And, of course, uh, if you live in the city of Toronto and you're trading property, you're getting double hit, right? You're getting yeah. hit by the Ontario levy and by the Toronto levy. And, yeah, so it's definitely one of those things. I remember in the last uh, – I remember in the, the past few – Ontario budgets taking a look at it and seeing their projections and they were realizing too, yeah, this isn't going to be the cash cow that it used to be as things slowed down. I think that's the that's the thing, right? When they're trying to engineer the the, the soft landing, uh, where does it hurt? Because there's always, whenever you make a move, there's going to be some sort of chain reaction that goes on and somewhere down the line, someone's going to say, oh, all that easy money we were raking in from people trading homes. <laughs> it's not quite as easy as it used to be. Yeah, and when you think about $100 million, I mean, you know, that's, that, you may have an $11 billion budget, but still $100 million goes a long way. And the fact that this is just, and, and, and I think where the biggest mistake was is that, of course, you know, they were generally coming in between 800 and $900 million uh, was this nice little cash cow they had rolling in. But as everybody had said, look, at, you, you, you shouldn't count on this because markets can change. And yet they, every year after year, it's like, oh, yeah, and we're going to have this much coming in. Um, you know, is, is that going to have much of an impact on services or, you know, some of the other areas in Toronto? I mean, that becomes a tough thing, right? When you talk about a city and uh, it's a completely different uh, conversation I had with the mayor of Markham this week on my show with the fact that they don't want marijuana uh, retail in their in their city. But I asked him, I said, well, this is, you don't have that many streams. I mean, you have property tax. You have uh, municipal property taxes. You have corporate property taxes, business. And other than that, you have to go begging to the province, asking for cash or looking for a part of the federal gas tax over the years, the arguments they make. And so it's definitely hard when you start getting that pinch like that. Okay, where is the money going to come from now? If it's not going to come from there... And that's the easy math. But doesn't at the same time, it doesn't seem to be the easy math that a lot of governments are doing these days in terms of, okay, the revenues are shrinking. We want to be everything to everyone. We want to give them everything we promised. And in the end, you got to make that hard choice. Even at the provincial level next year, I think that's going to be a big story too. What do the provincial Tories have to not deliver on in terms of their promises if the revenues are down and the deficit is up? Yeah. Well, listen, Greg, always a great pleasure. Um, you know what? We'll, uh, we'll definitely touch base in the new year, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll you know, see where we start off. We'll see where we start off. It's going to be an interesting one in terms of uh, a lot of, lot of stuff about debt this week. Yeah, we've stopped borrowing at the record rates we're borrowing at, but now we've got all that debt on our plate. <laughs> I think that, for me, that's the story of 2019. Yeah, excellent. Listen, Greg, always a pleasure to have you on the show. All right, thanks, Todd. Thank you. Folks, that was Greg Bennell from BNN Bloomberg. And I know I've had uh, a caller just on hold. When we come back, I'm going to take care of it. Um, so Mike, my producer, is just going to let him know that I'm going to take care of him when he come, when we come back after the break. But make sure you've got, got your questions ready. And um, definitely, I want to take your calls. And uh, we'll, uh, you know, we'll just keep drilling it down. There's so much to talk about. And uh, if, you, uh, if you can guess how much the Toronto real estate is going to go up in 20 
2019. Well, there was some stats put together, and of course, not sure I'm in total agreement with them yet. We'll wait and see, but the housing market outlook is out for 2019, and there's a forecast there. I wonder if you can guess what that number will be. But when I come back after the break, I'll give it to you. So stay with us. We'll be back after this. And welcome back. Um, great to have Greg Benell on with me just before the break. You know, he's he's amazing at analyzing numbers. And, uh, you know, again, taking a look at the market, I, you know, I threw that teaser out there. You know, what is the market going to look like in 2019? Well, right now, Remax and Royal Page are saying anywhere around 1.7% rate across the entire uh province, uh, sorry, uh, across Canada, but more importantly, Toronto, 2% increase. That's it. 2019, 2% increase for some of those, for some of you, uh, you know, back in 2016, 2%, that was a monthly increase. That's not an annual, annual increase. So, you know, it's, uh, they're, they're bullish that it's going to, to move, uh, in the right direction, not in the, it's not going to recede, but again, number of units, not going to go up a, a huge amount. I think we're going to finish out about 82,000 this year transactions. Maybe we're going to get up to about 85, 86, but not, no huge increases. So, um, so A, the government better be ready to figure out another tax stream and um, and B, still not a whole lot of uh, activity in the market. It's going to be pretty much standard. Saji has been awesome waiting on the line, so I'm going to go to him now. And uh, Saji, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Todd. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Awesome. I have a question. Um, my question, I, I live in a duplex. Okay. And I have the, Porsche, uh, another, the second portion rented out. I just signed a lease for one year. In November. Okay. Uh, and then a couple of weeks in, my tenant wanted to leave. Okay. So I'm wondering what options I have given that I do have a lease uh, and he wants to leave uh, January 1st. Okay. So technically, um, you know, they should give you a minimum of 60 days notice. Um, mm -hmm. So you would be technically inclined to be able to get an extra month's rent if they're not able to, to you know, do that. But you can't, it, it's really tough nowadays to be able to get somebody to, you know, stay in for an entire year. And for you, you won't, you really won't gain anything out of the LTB if you go there. Uh, okay. Right now, in fact, um, there is some discussion that leases like one year and two year term leases are actually going to become null and void. And that it's as soon as somebody moves in, they can break the lease within uh, a 60 day period. So they do have to give you proper notice. They can't just bail out, but uh, it should be at the beginning of a month. So if they're looking at, if they've just given you notice in the middle of November, technically you should have rent paid to you up until the end of January, which should give you enough time to find another tenant. Okay. Okay. All right. Sorry, I wish that. I had better news for you, but uh, those are the latest rules and regulations. So, and thanks, by the way, for uh, for staying on for so long as we went through uh, a couple of segments there. Love to hear from you. Um, again, you know, a couple of topics that we're talking about uh, that have been pretty strong in the last hour and a bit. Uh, of course, are realtors worth their commissions? Hey, if you're a realtor, you know, uh, you don't have to tell me what brokerage you're from. Don't have to tell me your last name, but, you know, tell us why, uh, you know, the commissions at 5% cut in half, two and a half, two and a half, 
are uh, what is is a viable commission. And also, if you're uh, you know somebody that has used a realtor and didn't see the value in it, um, let us know. Uh, speaking of real estate and the idea that there's a lull coming into the market, you know when we took a look at the numbers and back in 2016, we topped out at 113,000 transactions that year in the in the uh, Toronto area. That's 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 a big that's a big number. But um, that number is definitely going to be way down this year. Somewhere we're looking at around 82,000 sales, uh, sale transactions. So a big, big curve there. Again, fortunately for us, the prices have not gone too far backwards. And so people are not going to be suffering financially. But again, you know, when we take a look at the number of transactions, again, if we don't have enough stuff coming into the market, not enough buyers there, you know, people are going to be pushing a little bit harder on rent. And this is where we see basically a zero vacancy rate. And if you're going to play tenant, remember, um, there's a lot of rules and regulations you can follow. If you want to get some of those uh, rules and regulations down, uh, join me for my simple seminar coming up uh, in January the 17th. It's a Thursday night, 7 p.m. You can go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register or find out more about what we do as far as investment properties go. Uh, We've had some great seminars uh, this fall. And I have to tell you, I just want to thank everybody that has attended and met with me. It's always a pleasure to meet uh, so many people. And, you know, it's pretty much a uh, sold out night every time we do it. And so you may want to start off the new year right. You know, 2019, it could be a very good year for you. Investment real estate, no matter what, if bought correctly, if held long enough. And that's why we always talk about holding investment real estate. It's not a speculation. And for those of you that uh, are waiting right now for some condos to close, I know a lot of people were buying, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018 with the idea that, you know, something's going to close in the next three to four years. If you haven't seen a shovel in the ground yet, if they haven't started dig the foundation, you may want to pause before you think that this is a done deal because again, 2018, we had a record number of cancellations for brand new construction when it came down to the condominiums. Of course, most people know the latest one was in Vaughan and roughly about 1,100 units got cancelled. Everybody did get their deposit back, but you know they, they had bought with the intention that they were going to either move into it or have an investment property and that's gone by the wayside. And since then, you know, real estate prices for brand new construction condominiums is probably up an extra $200 per square foot. That translates, uh, you know, $100,000 minimum more that you have to pay to be able to buy something. The problem with all of this now is the fact that things don't cash flow. So are you going to be a speculator in 2019 or are you going to be a landlord? And it'll be up to you to make that decision. And I want to hear your questions and your comments. Uh, What do you think of the market? Is it getting stronger for 2019 or could we go backwards? What are the, are the experts right or wrong? I don't know. Uh, also, interest rates, what do you think? Are they going to put pressure on it? As Greg Bennell said, you know, foot's probably off the accelerator right now for the interest rates. You know, maybe we're going to be waiting till the spring before we see another increase. And uh, of course, are realtors worth their commission? You know, I always love putting that question out there because I think it's very important to get all sides of the equation. I'll definitely take your calls when we come back from the break, which we're going to be going to in a few seconds. And other than that, uh, lots more to talk about while we finish up our second hour here at Simply Real Estate. For those of you out shopping, if you're uh, stuck in traffic, Give me your questions and we'll have a conversation when we come back after this. So stay with us. We'll be right back. 
And welcome back. Uh, I'm going to go to uh, to the phones now. I'm going to go to Sam, uh, line one. And uh, Sam, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. So, Sam, you have a question regarding uh, you You disagree with the idea of the lease contracts with me. Yes, I do. Okay. So, if a landlord has a clause in that lease agreement that that tenant is responsible for the rest of the term, doesn't matter when they move out. So they should be responsible for the rest of the term. I agree with you. See, here, here, here's the difference, Sam. There, I agree 100% with the comment, but there's also the practicality of it and what's actually happening in the marketplace. And unfortunately, the LTB, the Landlord-Tenant Board, is not enforcing the one-year rule when you sign an agreement like that. Yes, but there is, uh, you see, uh, that board should be really uh, dismantled, and I will tell you why. You sign a legal uh, lease agreement with two people, couple, with one person, doesn't matter. Sure. And that, after uh, two months, you find instead that one or two people that, they, that you sign legal contract, you have another four or five people living at your place. So legally, you can do nothing about it. So all this uh, process that is here should be abolished because you don't protect landlord. Somebody putting half a million, $800,000 in the rental property and the tenant coming a month, give you 60-day notice, move out in a, in a month or two, destroy your property, you cannot keep a security deposit, you have no right to kick those people out that they are maybe sub-leasing uh, the property to them. So what you giving me, like investor, mm-hmm. that I'm going to buy a rental property if I actually have no any right and that property is mine, I'm paying mortgage. So really, uh, I think the loss, somebody... Uh, should look at it and be fair to both sides. I agree. You know, Sam, I'm going to tell you this, Sam. I agree wholeheartedly as a landlord with all of your comments. The unfortunate thing is that currently, the the first and foremost, the LTB is not pro-landlord. The province is pro-landlords keeping tenants in. They don't want tenants to be, you know, pushed out. One of the important things that everybody has to understand, though, is that... When we talk about tenancy, and so the first natural reaction is everybody goes to the landlord-tenant board. Okay, so if there's a ruling there and the judge says, you know, sorry, you know what, you can't hold the person in there. They they have to give you proper notice, 60 days, that's it. You have to pay for the 60 days. Other than that, they're going to let them get out. Now, here's the thing, though. Under contractual law, you can take these people to small claims court. One thing, and I'll I'll give you a, a quick piece of advice, always, if you're going to have a lease, when you have somebody move in and you said, you know, they come in and they damage your property, you need to quantify each article in the actual rental unit, meaning the bedroom carpet is worth this much, the paint job is worth this, the fridge is worth this. Have them initial the value of absolutely everything in the property and put a note that they're in agreement that if they move out and they've caused any damage, they are financially responsible. 
You won't get a ruling from the LTB on this, but you can you will get a win in small claims court. So that would be my best advice. And by the way, Sam, thanks so much for your call. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. We've got to move along because we've got a few more calls. Uh, we're going to go to Styles uh, line two. And uh, Styles, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Just a couple of quick questions. Sure. Uh, question number one: If uh, I uh, have tenants in my in my place and I finally get rid of them, um, the second group of people, can I raise my rent? And the other question is: Is that if I did a complete renovation of all my units, can I raise my rent? Okay, excellent, excellent question. And and you know. You know, spoken like a true landlord, so that's great. So as soon as, as soon as your unit becomes vacant, so once once a tenant is out, you can charge whatever rent currently uh, that you can get. Okay, so when you start a brand new tenancy, so a brand new tenant, it's up to you to determine what rent you're going to get, and if they sign on the dotted line, then they can't deviate from that actual price. If your tenant, if you've got a property and you've got a tenant living there, and you renovate it during their tenancy, you have to make a special application to the LTB for an extra increase to the rent other than what the provincial standard is yearly. So next year, 1.8% is what we are allowed to increase the rent by. Um, if you've since since these are you know older properties, you are you do have rent control now. Everybody does. Uh, the only thing the province did was they they said brand new purpose built rental properties will not have the same rent control. But so for yourself, just so you know, for a heads up, um, you can you can control your rents when you're putting somebody new into it. But if you're going to renovate while somebody's there, the most you'll get is the standard provincial increase, the 1.8 plus. You can make an application for 5% one year, 5% another year. That's the maximum. So if you can show them, and you actually have to show the LTB the actual receipts and a description of the work that has benefited the tenant for all the money that you spent. Okay. okay thank you. you yeah, nope. If I built a new building altogether, am I not subject to rent control? Yes, you are subject to rent control. Now, if you're if you're saying you're building a brand new building, if it is site specific and it's got multiple units and it is um, it is going to be only used for rental, not owner occupied, you will not have rent control because it's brand new construction. Oh, great! Thank you very much. Appreciate it. No Bye. problem. Thanks for the call. Uh, so, folks, you know that that's the thing. You have to understand when you're buying investment properties, what are you going to be responsible for? Both the condition and also your rents. Stay on top of your rent increases. By the way, you know I know it's not much, but it does add up. And the banks, if you're if you're going to lenders, they like making sure that everybody is a pro active landlord. So make sure you stay on top of your rental increases. I'm going to go to my next caller and it's Linda on line three. And uh, welcome, welcome to the show, Linda. Hi, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Good. Yeah, our question is, um, can we use our RRSPs to um, put a down payment on an investment property? No, unfortunately, you cannot utilize that um, as a down payment. Um, what happens is is that because it is a, a, a basically they consider it to be a third party property, um, RSPs can only be benefited uh, when you're doing it for your your primary residence, and normally it's the idea of a uh, first time home buyer. But your RSPs can be utilized in other avenues. There's mortgage products out there. Um, you know, there has been some discussion about being able to swap your RSP money. So you lend it to your friend, your friend lends theirs to you, and you can utilize it that way. But right now, there is no way for you to take your RSP unless you collapse your RSP and pay the taxes on it. 
Right. Okay. Oh. Okay. So, but but we could use it as a mortgage type thing. Yeah, there are there are mortgage programs. Um, we we utilize at our company. We we actually utilize RSPs in a mortgage format. People get eight percent return on the actual RSP itself. It's called our Master Investor Program. Uh, if okay. you want if you want to know more, you can go to the simpleinvestor.com to take a look at it. But okay. yeah, yeah, it's 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 a very it's right now RSPs are still. You know, you you don't have the 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 flexibility that you know I wish people had with them, and uh, maybe the government one day will you know put something into place. So again, folks, you know, there's all sorts of things that uh, you can utilize. Um, we're going to be going to a quick break. Um, we've got Deborah on the line. I'm going to ask Deborah. You know, make sure you hang on, Deborah. Um, we're going to be able to have a conversation when we come back. We're coming down to the end of a two-hour show. That's going to be it. So if you want to ask me something, now's your chance. And I'll be back after this. And welcome back. Well, you know what? I was just talking to my producer, Mike, and he's saying we're coming down the home stretch for our two-hour show. Yeah, I can't believe it. You know, it's amazing how fast two hours goes by. And if you have a question, this is your time, 416-872-1010. Phone lines are open, and, uh, you know, we're going to be running it right to the last second just before 5 o'clock. Uh, I'm going to go to Deborah in Toronto. And, uh, Deborah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. No problem. I am just wondering, so we just sold our house, and we're looking to rent. And there's a lot of rentals on the market. There's a lot of houses that aren't selling that are maybe considering renting as well as an option. So I'm just wondering, is rent to own? A possibility. I know it was years ago, but is that a possibility nowadays in Toronto? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, I just don't know how many uh, homeowners right now are willing to do it. The idea, you know, they, they're either going to sell it, they're going to rent it. But the, when, when you establish a rent to own, you normally come up with an agreed price for the future. So they may say, okay, you're going to rent it for two years. And at two years, you're going to purchase it for X. So, you know, it's it's a little bit difficult because for yourself, what if the market goes down, then maybe you're you're committing to a higher price. And if the market goes up, you know, substantially, then the actual owner of the property could lose out. So it, it, you're right. It was one of those things that was a lot more commonplace. Um, I just don't know if it's something that people are going to entertain at this point. Do they use part of your rent as deposit? Is that usually what happens as well? Well, a lot of times when we talk about a rent-to-own program, they would typically ask for an additional deposit. So that could be, you know, 5000 10000 extra. Or what they'll do is they will t- turn around and if your rent was supposed to be $2,000, they will say, okay, we want $2,400 a month. And 400 of that will deem to be a deposit. But if you do not come up to this price, we're going to keep it all. So you kinda, you're either paying a little bit extra on your rent or you're going to be paying a little extra up front for them to agree to that term. And then last question, if it's liability-wise, like what's the problem if, let's say, two years down the road, again, the house goes up tremendously and they don't want to sell it anymore? Or the opposite, we don't, you know, it goes down dramatically. Right, and you and you don't want to. So, so there is there is the liability because you would be actually signing an agreement of purchase and sale. So that's how the rent to owns do work. They have they have that signed out, and it's based on you know if it's a one year, two year, three year, whatever you've established in the contract. So you do have to be careful with it because you might be committing to something you know long term that perhaps you're not ready to. You know, a lot of times people do it because you know. It, 
you know, they pull back financially, they need to bank some money, and then they come back into the marketplace. So again, the rent-to-owns, you know, it, it's more designed for investors to do it. And a lot of times the tenants just normally do not complete the sale. So again, I, I would be cautious uh, at this time to do it because you may be committing to a pretty high price. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, thank you so much. I've got Sonia on line two, and uh, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. First time. What I want to ask you, what's the rule and the regulation if you're living in an apartment building? Can the landlord turn three of the units into A, B, and B? Okay, great. Great question. So you're in an apartment building. And you're asking if uh, a landlord can actually rent out some of them. So is it a condominium or an apartment no, building? it's not a condominium. It's a private. Private. Okay. Apartment. So just so you know, the landlord, Sonia, can do whatever they wish. So there's nothing illegal as long as they're not crossing any lines in the municipality. Um, there is no question they can rent them out to buy Airbnb however they wish. All right, and thank you. Okay, thanks so much. You know, interesting question. A lot of people, um, you know, when we talk about Airbnb, because they're such short-term rentals, you know, do the same rules and regulations apply? And this is one of those things I think that a lot of people, they need to be, you know, cautious with. I'm going to go to Mark on line three. And Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, great show. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Uh, a quick question. We're looking at an investment property out in Oshawa across from Durham College, just popped up. Um Looks like there's a lot of maintenance fees. There's a maintenance fee on the property. There is a separate maintenance fee uh, on a parking spot and a separate maintenance fee on your locker. Is that standard in the industry now? Or? It is, yes. Actually, Mark, I, I, I love the question because that's a really good question. And most people aren't aware that when you start adding things such as a locker or a parking spot, that you can have maintenance fees charged on them. See, your unit itself is titled one way, but now you've got a few extra pieces added to it. And when the condominium creates their budget, they have to figure out what are they going to have to maintain. So if, if something happened to your locker in the future, they're going to have to maintain it because technically you you have exclusive use of it, but you also have to maintain it. So yes, this is a very common thing and more common now than ever before. So, you know, great question. Wow. Yeah, and okay. so so you, so you have to really keep your eye on it because when they start pushing maintenance fees up, you can pay more maintenance fees for your parking spot as well as your locker in the future. Wow, that's amazing. Yep. I really appreciate that answer. Thank you so much for taking my call. No problem. Thank you. Um, that's it, folks. You know, we're, we're going to be winding it down soon. So I'm going to go to Alan on line one. And uh, Alan, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Good, thank you. I have a, a unit at near, near Shoreburn Station and the tenant is on a month-to-month lease right now and I don't want him there anymore and because but he has been a good tenant so far he's been a very tremendous good tenant but I don't want him to live there because I think the amount he's paying is substantially low compared to the market price I just want him to get him out of there out of the unit okay Great, great question. Um, Unfortunately, uh, unless you can get him to agree to leave on his terms, you can't force him out and take on a new tenant. So you can't kick a tenant out for a new tenant. The only only way um, that people are doing it is that they will become owner-occupied and you actually physically have to move in yourself. It can't be that you say, I'm going to move in. You don't move in. You put another tenant. That's illegal. Uh, You will get fined. And um, yeah, so it's not one of those situations. Uh, Have an honest conversation with them and tell them, look at, you know what? It's not, the rent's not cutting it. Um, You know, you, but again, Use the rules and regulations that are, are provided to you. If for any reason they do not pay, make sure you get everything filed correctly. 
Okay, but if I just like uh, live there without being occupying the without putting a new lease, is it okay? Um, yeah, sure. You can you can you can ask them to leave uh, sixty days uh, notice and you move in. So that's no, not... what I meant to say was that uh, if I do if I say I do live there, right? But I won't be occupying the unit. But I, but I will not be leasing the unit to to let somebody else for like a year. Is it possible to do that? Um, yeah, but the, the the truth is you can't kick it out just for vacancy sake. Okay, oh, so okay. you can't you can't get rid of a, a tenant just for vacancy. So, uh, thanks so much for your call. Uh, I'm going to go to uh, Styles. Uh, he's calling back again. And Styles, welcome back to the show. Thanks. This is a very quick question. So sure. I have a tenant. Yep. And he wants to move out, and he's bringing somebody else in. Okay. Right. Uh, he's on the lease. What happens with that? Okay. Um, first and foremost, um, you have the right to approve the tenant. Okay. Uh, it doesn't automatically discard your current tenant from the responsibility of the lease. Okay. So in other words, he can't just walk away. The length of his tenancy is tied to whoever who's occupying that property. So if his friend or whoever moves in and they're there for a year, he is still responsible as well as a friend. And you have every single right to qualify the the, uh, the, t- the new tenant moving in. And so you can actually say, sorry, this person doesn't qualify. Then, you know, get rid of the tenancy altogether and start over, refresh yourself. Thank you very much. Great show, by the way. Okay, thank you so much. Wow, folks, you know, it's amazing how quick an hour goes by. And um, yeah, two hours. <laughs> That's right, Mike, two hours. Wow. You know, uh, I just um, I just wanted to kind of close out the show by thanking everybody that has made this uh, show such a success over the last, uh, it's almost five years we've been doing this. Um, my producer, uh, Ian Grant, uh, Mike, uh, Matt, uh, you know, everybody that's contributed, Andre, you know, there's so many uh, of the group here at News Talk 1010 have always had a little bit of a piece of the show, but they've made it simple for me to be able to come to you and explain investment real estate, real estate in general, everything that's going on in the marketplace. And so it's been a real, it's been a real pleasure and a real privilege to be able to do this. And, you know, 2019, we're looking at a real exciting year. There's lots going on. The Simple Investor has more and more opportunities for people. We're going to be doing more educational little seminars. Remember the first one of the year, you want to make sure you sign up for that one. Get the year started off right in uh, 2019. And, but most importantly, I want to thank all of you for tuning into the show every single week. You know, it's been a real privilege and we're going to continue on through 2019 and hopefully keep you up to date on what's going on in the real estate market. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.